This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong, and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week marks the 10th year, a decade since Sir Alex Ferguson, a man widely regarded as the most decorated football manager of all time, stepped away from the beautiful game. Starting off his managerial career in Aberdeen, he oversaw a historic 26-year reign at the helm of Manchester United, one that saw him win 38 trophies with the club and fulfilling his ultimate goal of knocking Liverpool, who at that time were miles ahead of the Manchester club off their perch. His ability to build and rebuild successful teams, coupled with his relentless drive and attention to detail, cemented his legacy as a true master of the game. Joining me on the show this week is sports author Bob Holmes as we take a look back at his leadership style and the different facets that made him a living legend not just for the club but the sport. Well, he was a great manager. I don't think you can deny that. Uh, even uh, Liverpool fans have to grudgingly admit that. You can't be at the top for 26 years uh, without having something rather special. Um, whether he would have lasted in uh, today's era is a good question. Uh, because, I mean, I think only five of the 20 current Premier League managers uh, have actually made it through the season so uh, so far i think i assume that no one else is going to get sacked but that's a pretty high rate mm. of casualties mm. and of course ferguson uh there is a famous story about ferguson um supposed to be he was supposed to be sacked if they lost the next game which was against my club nottingham forest i remember this very well although bobby charlton denied that was true but a lot of people believe it was because he had actually gone three seasons without winning the title. That's right. I yeah. mean, that's just to give you an idea compared to today. I mean, there's no way he'd last three seasons without winning the title at United now, is there? Yeah. yeah. But they, uh, he had won the FA Cup and the, and the Cup Winners' Cup. He won that game against Forrest, uh, went on to win the FA Cup, and, and the rest is history kind of thing. Mm. But... Um, yeah, uh, it was a different era, but still, I mean, he did transcend two or three eras in in that, tw that 26 years. So uh, you've got to give it to him. You, you can't argue with, uh, what, 38 trophies, the most in the world, yeah. I believe, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in major football. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and throughout, absolutely incredible. And throughout those 26 years, there were, you know, he started off really slow, didn't really win anything in his first couple of years. And there were moments uh, where he actually threatened to quit, right? He was almost done with Manchester United. Yeah, he got uh, frustrated. He made a slow start, which was nothing new. He'd done that in Scotland mm -hmm. before he came down. It's worth mentioning his uh, performances at Aberdeen. I don't think Manchester United fans will mind hearing how great he was at Aberdeen. That's the why they that's why they got him in the first place. But um, he took uh, a club, a fairly unfashionable club, and broke the old firm stranglehold in Glasgow. Rangers and Celtic dominated, and uh, still do. Mm. But not while Fergie was at Aberdeen. That raised eyebrows south of the border, and Manchester United thought. 
well, we, we better have a look at this guy. He's, uh, he's something special. But he did take a while, even at Aberdeen. He took a year or so to, to get going. And before that, I mean, there are stories about him taking over at East Sterling with eight players and no goalkeeper. <laughs> he thought he had to go in goal. You know, this kind of thing. So he's, he started very humbly and then gradually built up and uh well we we know the rest yeah 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 pre like you were mentioning to like you alluding to pre-united he jumped around clubs in scotland aberdeen like you said you know won the 1980s scottish league, league title the first since 1955 and of course a few years later um sir alex brought aberdeen beating Bayern munich and real madrid on the way to capturing the 1983 europeans cup winners cup uh, at that time bob were coaches in scotland highly pursued by clubs in England? Yeah, well, they, they were, actually, and players, too. There's some, some great players came down. I mean, uh, we, we only had to mention uh, the likes of uh, Kenny Dalglish and uh, Dave Mackay, Alan Gilzean, trying to think of a Man United, Scott. Yeah, one or two, weren't they? Yeah. Um, Gordon McQueen, there's one, for example. Uh, he, he signed one or two. But um, Scottish managers, yes, they did. Um, they seemed to have an authority mm. about them. And they had uh, the great Jock Steen, who won the um, Champions League or the European Cup. He was the first, uh, with Celtic, the first British club to win the European Cup. Uh, so when you've got pedigree like that, uh, going to Scotland to find a manager was uh, certainly not out of the ordinary. Mm, mm. But that being said, though, jumping from Aberdeen you know, to Manchester United, who at that time, to be fair, weren't doing too well either. Still quite a major jump for Sir Alex. Uh, yes, uh, but he had led Aberdeen to uh, triumph in Europe. Uh, he beat, famously beat Real Madrid mm -hmm. in the um, Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, he, uh, one time I spoke to him, he told me a story about Real Madrid um, when he was in Aberdeen, if things weren't going too well, he'd look at the fixture list and they were playing somebody like Dunfermline or St. Mirren or somebody like that. And he would say to the players, don't worry, lads, we're not playing Real Madrid. <laughs> and then, of course, who do they meet in the final? Real Madrid. The great Real Madrid. <laughs> not only that, but they were led by Alfredo Di Stefano, mm. one of the great players of all time. Mm. So that was his opponent in the in the opposite dugout on that occasion, and he certainly rose to it as the players did, and they they won that uh, with a famous victory. Mm. So he was he was never going to be uh, overawed or anything like that. And uh, as I say, he he did start. Overall, he started slowly in terms of titles, but he did take them from the second second to bottom in the um, uh, first division, as it was then, to um, 11th. Mm. So that was quite a, a satisfactory uh, start. He saved them from relegation. Mm. So he, he was okay the first season. Mm. Um in hindsight, right, um, looking at his career, you know, David Gill uh, once famously said, Steve Jobs is Apple, Sir Alex Ferguson is Manchester United. Uh, he's a manager that's not just a coach, but he played a central role in the whole United organisation. In fact, you know, despite all the managers that came after him trying to fill his shoes, there's still a lingering presence of Sir Alex over the club. Um, what kind of impact did he have on the culture and the identity of the club? 
Well, it was overwhelming. I mean, they owe their presence now in as one of the world's super clubs. They owe it to him. Mm. I mean, they they'd been great before. Um, the uh, twice they they had an absolutely fantastic team. They were the Busby Babes, followed by the uh, Law Best and Charlton era, and they were the Glamour Club, and they won the European Cup under Sir Matt Busby. So um, that that was one era there, but that team faded, and they were actually relegated. They did come back up uh, before Ferguson took over. But they may not have been the giants that um, they are now mm. had it not been for that sustained success. I mean, we saw what happened to Liverpool, who'd been uh, between Busby and Fergie and Manchester United. Liverpool were the dominant club. And they uh, didn't just have one manager. They had two and actually three who led them to greatness. And Liverpool were, were right up there. But then they faded. And it was not until Jurgen Klopp took over. They were in the doldrums. They went 30 years without winning the title, almost off the radar as a, as a, a major club. But they came back in the nick of time, you would say. Whereas Ferguson maintained Manchester United at the top for that length of time. Right. And now, since, even though his He's been an impossible act to follow. Uh, I mean, they've been they've won a couple of trophies under Mourinho since, and one under Louis van Gaal, but nothing like the success they had under Ferguson. Mm. But they're still up there. They're still regarded as a a top club, even mm. when they're not in the Champions League. Mm. Yeah. You know, you still think of them. They're they're a rich club, one of the richest in the world, and it's all down to him. It won't last forever. I mean, if they don't get back and win the Champions League soon, you know, they'll be regarded as a sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a failed club mm. eventually. Mm. But they they owe him an ab absolutely everything, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And one of the major things he did when he came in was, you know, to create a structure for the long term by modernizing Manchester United's youth program. Of course, a program that soon produced legions of young players that broke into the first team. Uh, he also recruited a number of scouts, urging them to bring top young talent. A long term plan, right, Bob, that came with opposition. You know, Alan Hansen infamously said that you can't win anything with kids, but Sir Alex did, made him eat his words. Really speaks volumes about um, how. Sir Alex's ability to think outside the box and also at that time anyway winning unconventionally yeah yeah he was ahead of the game uh, basically and ahead of his time um, I mean now uh, you question whether uh, hypothetically you know he, he could have hung on uh, say a bit longer mm. um, he might wish that he did given the disastrous uh, two or three years that followed him mm. Um but uh, no, give him all, all that credit. Um, I mean, he was an avid student of the game. Sometimes when you get a really fiery character such as him, mm. uh, their attention to detail can be somewhat overlooked. But he was meticulous. Uh, you know, he knew every player, every opponent. He changed his tactics. He was very flexible tactically. And, um, you know, it, it paid off. I think the only area of regret and only p possible criticism is that he didn't win 
as much in Europe mm. as he perhaps should have. That's the one area. He won two European Cups. United have only won three altogether. Mm. Busby winning the first. Um, I mean, they, um, they've they had some bad luck, even as a neutral, even as a Liverpool-leaning neutral. I have to say that they did have some shocking refereeing decisions <laughs> in a couple of games. I can see them now against Real Madrid. Mm, the Nani red card, um, yeah. Nani red card. And there's, there's a lot of suspicion about that, uh, that game, actually, mm. uh, to this day. So, yeah. Uh, didn't have the run of the ball. I mean, another couple of European Cups would have kind of rounded off the record. I think that's the, the one area. And he's admitted it himself that that's his one area of mm. regret. Mm, mm. But one of the major things that he did was, you know, like I mentioned, the young players that came, right? He met, he, you know, took the step forward, you know, put them on the pitch and they produced results for him, you know, like Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville, David Beckham. Um, at that time, not many managers were fielding kids, were they? No, he was absolutely fearless. I mean, of course, he'd seen them play in the, um, in the junior ranks and the reserves and stuff. Um, he knew what he had. He knew he was very lucky to inherit a, a golden generation. Mm. Dare we use that that word? But they they were. Um, they had uh, Ryan Giggs had already emerged before the Paul Scholes, David Beckham's, Nicky Butts, mm. uh, Gary Neville's. Um, so he knew he had a gem in uh, in Ryan Giggs, and then uh, the others followed, and they were all over the pitch. That was the beauty of it. Mm. He didn't just have, you know, an isolated case, uh, which is not enough to build a team round. He had, he had fullbacks. He had, well, Giggs, a flying winger. He had Beckham in midfield, mm. Scholes in midfield, Nicky Butt, uh, sort of central midfield. I mean, you know, they they were, they were there, and and then he he had the established stars, and and of course another trick of his was he knew when to let go. And sometimes he was criticised for getting rid of, for example, Paul Ince, Andre Ch- uh, Kanchelskis and Mark Hughes in, mm-hmm. in Walter One Fell Swoop. The fans were up in arms, um, but they didn't know how good these kids were at replacing them. Mm. And that was, that was uh, an example of his, his fearlessness to do that. They'd won the title with those guys, but to let them go and rely on kids and then eventually win the title again, that, that took some doing. Our sports writer Bob Holmes says this week we're taking a deep dive into the career and legacy of Sir Alex Ferguson as this week marks a decade since he retired from the game. More of that conversation to come, so do stick around only here on Bar None on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, this is Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. I'm your host, Daryl Ong. So far this week, we've been taking a dive into the legacy and career of Sir Alex Ferguson, as this week marks a decade since he retired from the beautiful game. He was known to be ruthless, ferocious, while enterprising, wasn't afraid to cut star players from the team. His philosophy that no player is bigger than the club was one he held true throughout his tenure as players like David Beckham, Rick Van Nistelrooy and Roy Keane had to learn the hard way. Sports author and journalist Bob Holmes joins us on the programme this week. 
Ferguson used to like to deal with players man to man, as uh, the greats like Shankly and Clough did. Um, but I, I, if I've got time to tell you one story, it goes back to Aberdeen. But I love this story. Go for it. Um, he he was really ferocious in his early days, you know, and in team meetings. And players were actually physically afraid of him. And there's one famous occasion in Aberdeen, and uh, uh, I was told that he was so angry at half time that he kicked the laundry basket so hard that this laundry spilled out all over the players. They were all standing in a circle and they were there and they had underpants on their foreheads. <laughs> and it was a ludicrous scene. And the, one of the players telling the story said, we were so scared that we stood, we wanted to laugh at seeing so-and-so with his underpants on his forehead but they were all so scared they daren't even take them off they daren't move he said <laughs> we daren't even breathe and this team this fiery team talk lasted for about the whole of half time almost 15 minutes they all stood there like that but, yeah. also, but also that's the uh, the other side of the coin right Bob you know many players have you know not just referred to him as a coach as a boss but it's almost like a pseudo father type figure so he does have that caring side of him as well Oh yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he can. He can, uh, and he's mellowed uh, also. And he's even made up with his uh, arch enemy, uh, yeah. Arsene Wenger. Mm. Uh, they've become buddies almost. Mm. So, I mean, I think he's still got the fire and in the ballet. Uh, you know, you wouldn't want to cross him. I think even now he's at eighty <laughs> something. Yeah, but um, he's mellowed. I, I mean, he's a very intelligent guy. You know, mm. um, very very smart uh, guy. And just because he was a, a tool maker uh, and a part-time footballer, you know, before he became a full-time professional and all that, suggests that, you know, he, he was not, um, he didn't have a real academic background or anything. But that doesn't mean he wasn't a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. And speaking of intelligence, Bob, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to talk about tactical acuteness now. Um, how does his style of management, his style of um, coaching, compare to other great minds of football like Mourinho, Guardiola, or even his arch enemy, Wenger? Well, I mean, he, he got the better of them, didn't he? Mostly mm-hmm. um, because he was flexible. He, he was never really associated with, um, you know, a, a a system like Mourinho's come to be known for parking the bus and right. this type of thing. Um, he was never really known for that. Manchester United, uh, he upheld the traditions of attacking play, uh, giving you the chance and all that. And he, uh, but he could, well, he didn't exactly park the bus, but he could organize a defense. When he, when he had to. Mm. In some of those European games, particularly away from home, um, United did defend quite stoutly, as it happened, uh, on many an occasion. And he was pretty confident at Old Trafford they would do the business. But uh, he, he, never, he was never really associated with one particular type of football Style, yeah. other than Manchester United attacking football. Mm. My only quibble uh, with Ferguson, and, and otherwise this is going to sound like a, you know, a tribute act to him, um, <laughs> but my only quibble is over the Glazers. Um, you reminded me of it um, by bringing, bringing us up to date. You know, they are still haggling over the sale mm-hmm. of United, and it could even affect who Manchester United buy in the transfer window. They've 
they've uh, Eric Ten Hag has not been given a budget. Now it's you know we're getting to the end of the season. They know who they want to buy, but they don't know how much money they've got. And this is because the, the Glazers are hanging on and trying to get every last penny out of the sale. Mm. And this again, the the Glazers are jeopardizing United's chances on the field. Mm. And I. Uh, I do quibble with Ferguson. He initially was opposed to the Glazers when they took over. Then he seemed to change. I don't know what happened, but it was as if he thought, well, I can still win even with the Glazers, you know. Right. Um, when every all the fans were calling for the, the Glazers to be kicked out and for a takeover. Uh, you remember the green and gold movement mm -hmm. about 2010, mm -hmm. uh, all that. But Ferguson, he kept quiet. And had he come out against the Glazers, that could have swung it. But he didn't. Mm. And he, it was as if he had decided that he could manage uh, Manchester United, uh, you know, no matter who the owners were. Right. They did provide him with, with a reasonable amount of money, to be fair. But, of course, the uh, I think it would have been an awful lot better had the Glazers been, uh, well, had they never taken over. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know what happened behind closed doors. But you're right, you know, in saying the fact that, you know, uh, he initially rejected the idea of the Glazers, but then throughout his career, he almost seemed like a shield between the Glazers and the fans. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Which is a bit hard to understand when you think of his uh, socialist uh, trade union background. I mean, to this day, he's an out-and-out Labour supporter, and he's going along with this uh, venture capitalist operation. They never put their own money in, as everybody knows. Mm -hmm. It was a leveraged buyout. Uh, had he, uh, had, United used to pride themselves on never being in debt. Then they went into debt and they've actually spent on loan interest and dividends one and a half billion pounds. Now, Ferguson surely must wonder what he could have done with that in the transfer market mm. in those days. In those days, I mean, yeah. A lot even now. Mm, mm. It's mind-boggling. Mm. He could have bought Messi and Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. So uh, looking at current day United, we are in a inverted commas transitional period right now. And, and to think about it, Bob, uh, during the Sir Alex uh, era, um, he had the ability to keep on reproducing winning teams, teams that challenged and even won the titles. For him, there was never, I might be wrong, but for him, there was never that transitional period. It's just testament to the stability he, he brought to Manchester United. I mean, it was, you could say it was uh, always a transitional period, oh. can't you? Because he, he uh, I mean, we talk about four great teams that he had. You you can just about narrow it down to that, I suppose. Mm. And those teams lasted three or four years each, which is the usual lifespan of a of a great team. But somebody will get injured, somebody will get old, and there'll be some kid wanting to break through. So eventually, you know, that team does change. But he was um, he was always very much aware of this and try to be one step ahead. And I think that's that was his secret. He could spot mm. somebody fading before they actually did so. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, the season before, he could see, think, well, they've only got one season left. I better get somebody lined up for, for their place. And, of course, even Roy Keane, in the end, 
I mean, Roy Keane uh, replaced Brian Robson, who was regarded as irreplaceable for a, for many a year, until he he finally was. I mean, he, he did he did fade in the end. But Roy Keane still thought he was he was good enough and still basically bossed the team mm. on the pitch. Mm. And it was a shock to him when Ferguson told him he could he could do without him because mm. he had, I mean, he'd gone against Ferguson. Nobody can ever do that. But he'd also shown signs of fading mm. on the field. Mm. So there was no, um, you know, no messing around at all. He was totally ruthless, got rid of him. Yeah. So, you know, he did have this ability to change. He wasn't afraid to change, even if it meant missing out perhaps on a trophy for one season just to get the right blend for the next and get rid of a bad apple or somebody, mm. he would do it. Mm. Yeah, a long-term plan and not just patching things up for, for, for the current season, right? Um, yeah. We, we, can't, we can't do a show on Sir Alex without talking about Fergie time and also mind games. <laughs> um, of course, when, when the clock reaches 90 is always the time where United turns it up uh, under Sir Alex. Fergie time is you know a big part of you know his winning formula maybe you know coined by the media uh, escalated by the media mind games is is really a big part of uh, his arsenal isn't it you know be it pre during or after the match it's synonymous with how sir alex managed using psychology to his benefit yeah absolutely um he uh, i mean this fergie time people think it was all about just getting referees to add on time but what it actually meant was that United never gave up. So that if, all right, so there's 10 minutes to go, they're losing. And people would think, well, there'll still be Fergie time at the end. <laughs> but actually what he was sort of saying to United was just never, ever give up, no matter how uh, little time there is left. Mm. And, you know, uh, such was the fuss about Fergie time that Opta, the, the stats people, actually did an analysis of, of this. And yes, Manchester United did seem to get more time given to them at the end of games than other clubs. They found that out. But they also found out that other clubs managed to score goals in that time as well. Mm. So it was really what, what it showed was that if you have this never-say-die spirit, mm. you, you're more likely to score. You know, it's simple psychology, really. Hmm. And no one, no one ever proved it. But I mean, one or two referees have, have since written books and admitted that when they drove up the motorway and they knew that uh, they were reffing at Old Trafford, they, uh, they wanted, if they wanted a quiet night, uh, they didn't want to upset Ferguson. <laughs> and I mean, that is admitted by a couple of hmm. quite well-known referees. Hmm. So... You know, I think there was something in it, yeah. Such was his influence, right? Uh, last question, Bob. Um, obviously, you know, he's a highly successful manager and, you know, uh, he managed to stay in power for for so long, you know, at the top level. Uh, a feat that, uh, for me, is unlikely to re be replicated anywhere. Um, would you, what would you say is his lasting legacy and how would he be remembered for the years to come, not just for Manchester United fans, but the landscape of modern football? Well, I think... I think he's so closely associated with United. I mean, that's where the bulk of his um, achievements happened yeah. on a global basis. I mean, with respect, due respect to Aberdeen, uh, he was their greatest manager as well. 
but he really hit the global headlines at uh, Manchester. Um, I, I mean, I just think it's, is, you know, keeping a club at the top for 20 plus years, mm-hmm. um, as you said, no one will ever do that. Not one person might be possible. I mean, Real Madrid seem to seem to do it, don't they? But with multiple managers. But Ferguson did it himself. I mean, even Liverpool needed Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley, uh, followed by Joe Fagan and then Kelly, Kenny Dalglish. So there's there's four there in their era of dominance. Um, Ferguson did it all himself in a very difficult time. Not as difficult as it is today, admittedly, but he's still, it was an amazing achievement. And I think football will salute him for that. He'll always be one of the all-time greats. Our sports writer Bob Holmes says this week on the show we've been looking at the career and legacy of Sir Alex Ferguson as this week marks a decade since he retired from the beautiful game. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's episode. If you'd like to revisit the story, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none or if you'd like to get in touch with the program, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Tara Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week, only here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.